Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Loria Tone, who is the Learning and Development Director at 100% ESOP TVF. It's not strictly necessary that you listen to part one of our conversation before listening to this episode, but you may want to circle back just for some foundation and to get to know Lori, as in this episode, we're going to talk about the myriad of things that go into successful ESOP employee owner education. You can find part one, which was episode 245, and all of our past episodes at www.esoppodcast.com. With that, here's part two of my conversation with Lori Atone. You know, the funny thing, Lori, is first of all, we said at the top of this podcast that you came to work for an ESOP having not heard of ESOPs, and that is the experience. And one of the things that I can't help but think, and I think it came up a little bit in my episode with Danny Green at ProAct, who graduated college in 2022. So she's only, you know, a year out of college and is doing a great job. And gosh, she has the Kool-Aid. But it struck me with, and I've lost track a little bit, whether the Gen Zs, the millennials, I can't keep track of who's in what generation anymore. But it seems to me, you know, to say to somebody in their 20s, this ESOP is a great retirement plan, clearly is flop. You know, I most people don't care in their 20s or even 30s about retirement. They're just not looking at it. But as I look at kind of the political world and the social discourse, and I don't mean politics, more people are saying they want a voice. More people are saying they want to participate in how companies are run and get away from, I will graduate high school and I will work for the same man, you know, for 50 years and enrich them. And I don't think we've done a great job of marketing ourselves as employment opportunities that fit really well with what young people seem to want. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And in fact, when you talk about marketing, it's interesting because I actually think we should consider rebranding ESOPs. For example, the name ESOP. Does it have to be ESOP? Is ESOP really a good name? I would say it's not a good name. It doesn't roll off your tongue. It's not memorable. It's like, yes, we all know that it's what an ESOP means now, but I would say like, can we just come up with a better name that's catchier and that and people would would just think, yeah, that I kind of want that. And you know, just to just think of thinking about it, it doesn't have to be called the employee stock owned plan. That can be some aspect of it. It can be called something else. So it's just like I think just I absolutely think that people, young people, really anyone, if you think about what what do you how do you want to spend your time? Do you want to spend your time just sort of, you know, doing doing some job where you don't have autonomy and you're not really it's like, yes, you're getting a paycheck, but you're not you're not really benefiting other than you know, I mean, you can find other companies do this too, like more entrepreneurial, you know, startup type of companies where everyone has a voice. But what's cool, let's say just using TVF as an example, because that's what I know. I'm more an almost a 50-year-old company. So there's the stability of that with the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of an ESOP. That's an awesome combination, you know. So I think I just feel like we could let's let's think out outside the box. 
First of all, I support you fundamentally in theory. I know that ESOP itself comes from Congress, you know, the name of the act that empowered it, and that has something to do with it. But there's a conversation, I'll put it that way, going on, even in terms of what is employee ownership. You know, employee ownership trusts when they first came to the United States in 2015, 2016, and I was a trustee, I was like, that's not employee ownership. And now very much accepted that they are and the folks who have been working on employee ownership trusts in the U.S. have done a great job. But that's also in England, employee ownership is EOTs. So they're there. Certified EO, which does a great job, one of our great organizations that's been around the last four or five years, and I love what they're doing, had set what they admit is an arbitrary 35% to be certified EO. And they acknowledged they just wanted a number that was more robust. And now we've got some of the private equity folks who are coming in and giving essentially stock options to the employees and calling that employee ownership. And where I draw the line a little bit is if it's just stock options, but there's no participation, there's no culture, there's no vibe other than, hey, we're going to make this really profitable over the next three to five years and you'll get a cut when we sell it. First of all, if people do really well, who am I to judge? But that's not what you and I are talking about. That's not the kind of employee ownership where we're just flipping things in the relatively short term. Right, because we all know that, of course, we want, everyone wants to make money. And we all know that, you know, there is a minimum requirement for for salary and people are motivated to a certain degree. But once they have that that baseline amount that is is good not that they don't want more but i think that they would rather have this this certain baseline amount of money but then the rest of it is how do you how are you spending your time how are you spending your time at work do you are you using your skills are you using your strengths are you able to you know experiment share ideas try things all of that makes work fun and meaningful and I think people all people want a sense of purpose. That's a, like an innate. A lot of the things I think that with employee ownership is that it taps into what we innately want as human beings: a sense of connection, a sense of community, a sense of purpose. All of that is tied up with a little red bow with employee ownership. In addition, you get this hot at the end of the rainbow. But I feel like the bigger story is is that what we want as human beings. So yeah, I for sure think that just having stock options or here's your amount of money, but without the other thing, it doesn't it doesn't ring true for employee ownership. So Lori, this is absolutely great and I really love it. Let's if we can turn to the practical a little bit. Maybe there there might be some guidance for our guests, but we talked about and it is funny how how ESOPs have now I'm sensitive. I want to come up with a better word. It's still better than it's still better than dental surgery. But, uh, so when I got into ESOPs and I did my first transaction in 09, and it led me to becoming the CEO of an employee-owned company for three years before I became a trustee. But the thing that we used to say is, you know, we would we would sell the companies, we would create an ESOP, and then you know, on like day number two, the CEO would be like, "Well, now they're the owners, and nothing's changed." And it was the understanding that you need to begin the education process. And that in a lot of cases starts when the company first becomes employee owned. In TVF, it's a little bit of a different scenario because you guys are 50 years old. So it starts with the onboarding, but then 
you also got to repeat and stay at it and that sort of thing. So if you can, can you take us a little bit about the, the onboarding process and then what you do on a regular basis to keep the education fresh? Sure. I mean, we and we we became a a hundred percent employee-owned company in 2010. So I think that, and I wasn't at the company at, at that time, but I think the culture changed over time, and the culture previously, you know, of course the the foundation was probably there that everyone cared, but I think that the the culture has changed really tremendously over the course of becoming an ESOP and then that sort of drip, drip, drip of, of different aspects of, of the education where people start to see progress and they start to see change. I think we have as a, our HR director will provide some basic sort of a welcome packet at some point when people become true participants. But what we do right now is we, the our ownership engagement board, when we have a new hire, will do a presentation about what is an ESOP, what it, how our company is structured, what our jobs are sort of within our, within the OEB. Then we have like an onboarding. We actually have lessons that have created in our LMS called Lessonly, where they have just very short little, you know, this is what the company's like. This is what an ESOP is. I actually found an interesting 1970s 60 minute interview with Lewis Kelso. And I, I kind of edited that just to have that had a really good little animated, this is what an ESOP is. And I, you know, so I added, I added that and kind of like put together, I thought it was cool to see Leo, Lewis Kelso actually speaking, you know, he has this passion, fiery passion that I thought, well, that's the founder, you know, of, of all this. So I put that together and that's part of our little onboarding packet. Then we have just different little segments of what is diversification, what is evaluation. And then and then the ESOP we have within our teams, Microsoft Teams, we have an, it's an ESOP channel. That's where we post all the ESOP things. If we have, you know, different celebrations or we have, you know, different different things that are coming up, we we post everything in the ESOP channel. Blake and I do our ESOP education there, so we'll post our word searches or our, you know, here, and I think NCO had this ESOP basics video and it was an hour or maybe it was over an hour, but I, I thought, we thought, let's just do this in 10 minute segments. And we said, watch the first 10 minutes, here are 10 questions. First person who answered correctly gets a prize, you know, those kind of things. Great information, wasn't a hard, you know, wasn't hard for us wasn't hard for the people. And so we're kind of working through that and just stuff like that. That's without, that's what we have put out there. So we have like the nuts and bolts things. We have the the drip, drip, drip. We have a certain channel that does it. And then of course we're, you know, we're celebrating all the time. We celebrate as much as possible. We have a, a fiscal new year party. First, I think it's our first time to do that, just to celebrate the fiscal new year. And, that's you great. know, we're, we have that coming up next week and just just a lot of stuff like that. That's what we do. So, Lori, one of the things that I like to point out, and this is where I think when I was an ESOP trustee that that things really began to click for me in understanding this. We talk about the education. We talk about the celebrations. And it is not unusual when guests come on and certainly the Owner to Owner podcast where they, they talk about it being a fun place to work. But what really caught my attention is this isn't for a very lack, you know, lack of a better phrase, but this isn't like tree hugging kumbaya for the sake of doing it. 
this adds to the profitability. This makes the company stronger and more profitable. Would you agree with that? Absolutely would agree. And I think like this sense of, you know, it's interesting because there's also studies and I can't cite them, but it's like the, if you have an office where people laugh, people are enjoying themselves. It doesn't mean they're they're laughing hysterically in a corner. They're basically, I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I'm kind of on the workaholic spectrum where I, I'm working all the time, but I feel that I'm also having fun. So I'm able to connect with people. I'm able to use my skills. I'm able to come up with things. And I think that idea of, yeah, like the fun workplace of people are actually really engaged in what they're doing and they're being productive at the same time, there's sort of a lightheartedness. There's an ability to laugh. There's an ability to create. I think that combination is extremely powerful. And that's what, when you see like a workplace where there is laughter, there's connection, there's, you know, the sense of celebrating our wins. You know, we're not, we're not pulling the wins out of, a, out of a hat where, where, Hey, we did this, we accomplished this, we have metrics, you know, all of, all of that is being celebrated. And, and I think it just kind of, yeah, it works. Because it adds to the happiness, it adds to the job satisfaction. And the other thing that came to mind is, you know, you said that you've always been a workaholic and, and we do see this quite a bit. If you were a workaholic previously, it's not like you slacked off before you worked in the Nissan you know, that, that that you've always been structured. I imagine it just devoting all of your efforts has more meaning to you. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think for me personally, I, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed work. I feel like it's a vehicle for me to use like different skills and different ideas. And I don't think I would work at a place that if I wasn't having fun, you know, I don't think I would work at that, that kind of a, a place where it's just kind of, it's this ability to do meaningful work, work really hard. It, it's actually, it's kind of interesting. It's like a sports team. If you, you're, you're, you're practicing really hard, you know, you're, you have, maybe you have like a, everyone's, everyone's super focused, but there's, there's a sense of when you're playing, you know, you've practiced hard enough when you're playing, you're enjoying yourself. You're able to, to, to play your best game. And I think that idea of like, yeah, we're, we're empowered to do our best work is that's a really, really important difference. It's not someone's not making you do the work. You want to do the work. So and yeah. the converse of that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. The converse of that is I imagine if someone was more inclined to be a slacker, there is a little bit of, of pressure or sometimes a lot of pressure. First of all, pull your own weight. But if you have the sense, and, and we hear this talking to people all the time, if you have the sense that you're part of something bigger than yourself and you're not just there for a paycheck and, you know, you understand with some financial literacy, you know, where you fit into the big picture, those that might be inclined to slack off are kind of their game steps up a little bit. Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, in our, I think in our company, I really can't think of one person who you would consider a slacker. I don't think they really exist. I mean, there is that sense of like, we're all in this together. There are, there are certainly people that would jump in more than others, but I think that idea that we're all tied together, we all want to be successful. Everyone has that, that sense of ownership. 
yeah, you you kind of can't function that well as a slacker in an employee-owned company. Doesn't quite work. Lori, I love that and forgive a little bit of silliness, but there was a little part of me that, as you said, I can't think of any slackers. I was hoping you'd be like, wait a second, Tony. No, I forgot about Tony. <laughs> yeah. and, and I hope there's nobody at Tony. There is know, not a Tony. Good. No, then we we're going to blame it all on Tony. Talk for just a moment. How does TVF approach financial literacy? And, you know, there are interesting conversations. I believe that there should be, and just my personal belief for whatever that's worth, there should be some level of open book management. But going back to my lawyer days, I've never been, you know, comfortable with necessarily complete open book management. But it seems the companies do well with those who have an understanding of where the role fits into the company's success through the books. So is there financial literacy? Yeah, I mean, we have, we do need to do more with that, but we we do, we have, let's say, our quarterly business review, QBR, where we do share financials in sales, a financial data for the company. It is shared throughout the company. And I think people are encouraged to ask questions. You know, it's, it's out there. What I would like to do is just do more nuts and bolts financial literacy, because sometimes you assume people know things and they don't. That's definitely something that is on the on the list of the to do's. But yeah, we I mean, we we all of information is shared publicly within a business review. And then people are encouraged to ask ask questions and and managers are encouraged to share anything that wasn't clear you know, share with with the management team or we'll come up with ways of explaining things better. So it's definitely a work in progress, but we we definitely have that, you know, in a sense, open book management where it's like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing. And yeah, I think, and everyone participates in that. And it's funny because when you said that it's something that maybe you you could do better, it almost sounds like maybe a little more frequently, maybe share the data, but but it certainly sounds like, you know, and even quarterly and, and just in the the past week as we're recording this, I had a guest on who was really happy that their company had quarterly meetings and thought that was a hallmark of a, every quarter we are told that what our financial situation is. And, and she was very, very pleased. And simultaneously, that week's episode of the Owner Toner podcast had somebody say, and every single month we have, you know, these meetings where we're given the financials. And to be honest with you, the enthusiasm was about the same. I think it's the nature, you know, annually is is a little long for my taste, you know, and I just kind of break it up from there. Twice a year is better than once a year. But if someone's doing it quarterly, they're ahead of many, many other people. So I think that's great. Yeah, I think the quarterly meetings are really good. We also share, it's another kind of cool thing, the way they've morphed into all of the departments will share their metrics. And we have, it's quite, it's quite a, it's sort of a long PowerPoint in a way, but it's like because we have all of the different people speaking, which is another kind of neat thing. It's not like one talking head. It's a bunch of people talking and sharing that that's a sort of more recent evolution of that meeting, but it's it's really that's that's gotten a lot of good reviews. So it's kind of like constantly tweaking it, and we don't want to overload people with data, but we 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 actually have quite a lot of data that we share. So it's more just making sure people know what does it mean, what does this mean, and I think yeah, that part is the sort of we can always get better at doing that, but really yeah, it's 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 evolved to be. A, fairly open and interesting quarterly business review. 
Let me ask, and I'm sorry, I, I meant to ask this a couple of minutes ago when you talked about Lewis Kelso being on 60 Minutes in the 70s, and we may try to find a link to that and put it on the show notes for this episode just because it's really cool. And again, for those who are listening, he's the one who conceived employee ownership and ESOPs. And by the way, I think it's his fault that they're called ESOPs, you know, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. But in the late 50s, he came up with ESOPs. But it made me wonder, have you come across a video of Rob Zakara speaking in the 90s to President Clinton? I have not seen that, no. I'm going to send you a link and we'll include that. And and Rob was on the guest. It's been quite a few years now. But Rob in 1996 was a machine operator for Web Industries. And he was invited to speak to a Blue Ribbon Commission on Employment generally. And Rob, in a few minutes, just laid down everything we look for in employee ownership. But the difference is he was telling it to the president of the United States and the secretary of commerce and, and some really high powered folks. And one of the things that, that I thought it was really, really cool, but it also made me a little bit wistful that boy, until the last couple of years, things hadn't changed a whole lot. And now we see a lot of activity and a lot of legislation, but I'll send you a link to that because that's something much like the Kelso video that you might be able to slice and dice and, you know, incorporate, but it's also part of our, our history, if you will, just, you know, how we've gotten to where we are today. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love that. Excellent. So Lori, final question I have, and then we'll see if there's anything that, that else that you'd like to cover. How do companies, either brand new ESOPs, I hear from a lot of folks who are going through the transition process, not quite there yet. I hear from owners, selling shareholders who are looking at, at ESOPs generally and haven't even moved that far down. And of course, we're fortunate enough to get a lot of listeners who are at brand new ESOPs. How do you start the process if you haven't really focused on education? Does it start with the committee? How do you develop it? Just share your insights if you would. I would say that, yes, I'd say start with the committee, develop, get, get some people onto a committee the NCO also has like these kind of, the, you know, framework for starting a committee or there's other things out there, there's resources out there. And then what I think the biggest thing is, is that things don't change overnight and that there is a process, just people getting used to things, people being able to absorb information. So in the beginning, what I've seen, especially like with our ICC meetings, we'll have some newer ESOP members where they... They just feel like, you know, we've been doing this. It's been two years and I feel like we aren't making any headway. People don't, you know, we're not getting. And really what I think is we should put out more of that what to expect and what not to expect or what to expect both positively and negatively. So it's like when you're in this, this certain phase, that's normal and natural. And no, you're not doing anything wrong. So it's more this idea of keep keep beating the drum, keep beating the drum. And over the course of time, like the flywheel, it starts to change. And I think what happens is people get frustrated because they see, and I think, again, I wasn't here at TBF, but it was really different in the beginning. There wasn't necessarily buy-in immediately. And people didn't feel like, oh yes, I can see how this is much better. But over the course of time, you see, you, you know, it starts to change. And then, so I think that idea of, getting the committee together, but also creating this sort of timeline of what to expect. And here's here, this is a good time to introduce this topic. You don't want to do too much too soon because then people feel overwhelmed and they don't get it. So it's just that, that kind of thing. But I I've noticed that there is a sort of a frustration in the beginning few years 
where people feel that they're not doing it right, when in reality, they're doing it perfectly right. They just have to be patient. So I would say that that's one aspect, something I've I've noticed. That is an excellent point because it does take time and you can, you know, one of the things that blows my mind a little bit is, first of all, in, in ESOPs, and Jesse Tyler makes this point quite a bit on his podcasts, that it is very hard to separate ESOPs and employee ownership from continuous improvement in every single business sense. How do we make things better? How do we how do we do things? And what really blows my mind is I've had guests or conversations not recorded with folks who work for some of the most celebrated ESOPs in the United States. And once we hold up as this is the way to do it, and meanwhile, at those companies, they're, they're, are we doing it right? Are we doing it enough? Do we need to do more? Do we need to keep innovating? So it is a process, even with that, that you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep the people involved. And then there are all kinds of other tricks and, and techniques. And you mentioned that you'll be out in Kansas City, which probably will have taken place. The NCEO's 2023 conference will have taken place before we air this episode, but you'll be out there. And that's also really important to bring, where possible, bring a variety of team members along because nothing really jumpstarts the process than time at a conference. Yeah. And I wanted to just also make the point that one of the other things that we've sort of started to do really by necessity, because in, in our Carson office, we don't have as many people as the Indiana office, but is is creating these. So we have an ownership and engagement board, but then we we've kind of started to create subcommittees where the people don't have to commit to being on the ESOP committee, but for an event, we have the subcommittee. So those for that event, other people, more people can kind of join in. That's the idea of having as many people as possible in the organization feel like they are doing something to promote the ESOP culture. I think that's something that that a lot of so it starts with a small little committee, but then it kind of permeates out so that you know, in a perfect world, you'd have 100% of people sort of doing something to really enhance the culture and, and do the celebrations and all that. So yeah, I think it's really interesting how we're all, we kind of put too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And really, I would say, just like with every anything else in life, enjoy the process. This is just, you know, part of the process and just try a bunch of things and take some risks and don't put too much pressure on yourselves. And you, and, and really ask, like like I did for you, you know, reach out to members of the ESOP community because so far I have never had anyone sort of, I don't even know how to say it, like there, the, every single ESOP community member who I've ever reached out to has been welcoming and engaged and, you know, there's a sense of we're all in this together. So I would say take, take you know, reach out to people. I love that. And for a self-serving purpose, as you know, Lori, I do two podcasts a week and content for me is always the challenge and the opportunity. And if somebody has an idea for a topic or better yet is willing to be a guest, reach out just like you did. And I think you messaged me on LinkedIn and a little bit later I answered. And within a day it was like, hey, you would agree to come on the podcast. So I really, really appreciate it. But at least speaking for me, it's just that easy. You know, so I hope selfishly speaking, I hope people will continue to reach out to me because it makes my job easier. And I just want to talk about employee ownership. 
Lori, I really appreciate all of your time and energy, everything that you're doing in employee ownership, but also sharing it with us today on the episode. And, you know, you've really reinforced a couple of key points to me. First of all, employee ownership education does not need to be boring. Find unique ways to do it, but keep at it and keep the faith and you're going to grow an organization that will, again, be more productive, more profitable, where people are happier and wanna work there. And, and that adds to retention, which adds to profitability. And people should build up the culture, build up the education, and then tell the world that they're employee-owned. Yeah, that that's a good summary of all of my thoughts. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Lori, it's absolutely my pleasure. And I'm going to reach out to Chris Fredericks and hopefully we'll have him back because EV Empowered Ventures is just doing amazing things. But TVF, separate from Empowered Ventures, TVF has a great story. For those who are interested, if you, you go to www.esoppodcast.com and search for Chris Fredericks, he gave us the TVF origin story. And I think when he was on, it was even right at the start of EV. So we we didn't, that was more of a concept. But it's a great company, great organization, and thank you so much for your time. With that, we will wrap up today's episode of the podcast. My thanks to Loria Tone of TVF, and especially my thanks to you, the listener. This is Brett Kiesling. Be well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.